This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So our primary reason for being on the air on Money Talks is to answer your personal finance questions. But we always like to come up with topics that we think might be of interest to you as well. So today we're looking for those calls, but we also have several things to talk about to fill the time between your questions. You can contact us by email. Our address is money at mpbonline.org. Before we start off with our uh, weekly review of financial news and news, we do have an early caller on the line. So why don't we say good morning to our friend John Davis, who calls in from Ridgeland. John, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hello, this is your uh, elderly worrywart um, <laughs> questioner. Uh, I'd like you to uh, enlighten me on the oncoming crisis with the national debt and maybe enlighten us all a little bit about what the national debt is. Is it like what we might owe on the refrigerator? What would happen if, if some resolution isn't reached soon? How did we get in this peculiar situation of playing Russian roulette with the national debt, whatever it is? And what do you think might be the best resolution? Who wants to tackle that one? Well, oh, uh, this is a big one. Yeah, yeah. and I'm going to say both of us. Um, we did a number uh, a couple months ago discuss kind of some of what was happening, but these are great questions, and I know they're all on folks' minds. So, Nancy, I'll let you get started. Well, first, let's talk about the difference between the deficit and the debt. So we do operate at a budget deficit, meaning what we collect in revenue, and I was going to talk about tax revenue because uh, we have income tax. Because of the significant significant date we're at, we are right now. Yes, right. And uh, taxes to cover Social Security and Medicare. Um, the taxes that we collect only cover about three-quarters of what we spend every year. And why is that? Because there are some things built into the budget that have been there for a long time, like Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and even a lot of the defense that are standard, that that aren't touched, that have been legislated a long time ago. And uh, the problem is that we have not adjusted our taxes to cover the expanding needs on that. So we've we cut do, our taxes, Nancy. We've had increasing yeah, we expenses have. and we've cut our tax rates. What's going on here? Uh, because in Congress, they don't understand math and accounting. <laughs> uh, but we operate at a deficit. And in addition to that, that deficit keeps building. Now, understand that a lot of people get confused and they think that a national budget is like a household budget. It is not. 
um, the national budget, we are a going concern. This is going to keep going, unlike if it was a household and everybody died in the household, everything has to be cleared out. That's not the way it works with a national budget. We are a going concern, and also we have the ability to create our own currency. And, it, and it's so, not secure debt. So like he referenced, uh, if it's a loan on a refrigerator or a car right. is a good example, cars get repossessed if you don't, if you don't pay your car note. Uh, houses do too, although that process can be very slow and has a lot of outs there. But they're, what, they're not, I don't, you can't, if you have a U.S. Treasury, you, you don't have some claim on a physical object over here or a piece but of it land. Does, it does depend on the strength of the U.S. government to make those payments. And um, so, and, and I am not a proponent of a balanced budget. Uh, for on the federal level, certainly states must balance their budget because they don't have control of their currency. But um, on the national budget, you want some flexibility to be able to handle recessions and expansions and inflation and all of that goes that goes into it. So I'm not concerned about uh, debt in the short run. I do have concerns about longer-term issues with an aging population sucking up more and more because of Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and that we're not addressing those things. Um, So the the issue of the debt ceiling is a weird thing because Congress approves the budget. And so if they've already approved the budget and said, you know, you can spend the money, now the debt ceiling is just based on are we going to pay our bills? And so that's the problem for investors with this debt ceiling vote, that if they don't adjust the debt ceiling, if they start fighting over it, it brings into question the value of those treasuries that Ryder just mentioned. So that's where we run into problems, and, and they, will, they will address it, they will fix it. But we may royal markets in the meantime as this is happening. And my big argument that I'm always, you know, on my soapbox about is we need to have a serious national discussion about what we want government to be. And once we decide on what we want government to be, that tells us what it takes to pay for that. And that means everybody has to participate. We can't just have one group uh, picking up the tab for it. Everybody has to participate and pay their fair share. And and so the the debt ceiling uh, that our caller was referring to, we talked a lot recently in the office, at least about the history of the debt ceiling, kind of why it came to be. And there have been stretches of time when they the debt ceiling was waived or Congress decided they would not care about it. Uh, and there have been times when Congress has said, "Oh, we're going to really strictly, we're not going to increase this debt ceiling because we're upset about some spending." And again. And as, as Nancy said, this is spending that Congress has already decided to do, but you have to raise the debt ceiling after that. There have also been times when they just linked this spending to the raising of the debt ceiling. And so those have been the, the calm times when you don't have to think about it because Congress is taking care of that. Uh, but in recent years, it has come up quite a bit. We've heard all these discussions like you referred to, um, and they have – the Treasury puts out a – 
uh, guide. Uh, they 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 put out some estimates of when they think they're going to run out of money, when they think they're going to have to do some of what they call extraordinary measures, which is essentially they delay some payments, they stop reinvesting some payments, uh, particularly in if you are a government employee in your TSP, I believe the G fund, they don't reinvest some of those payments. They still owe you that money. It's just it just doesn't count towards the debt ceiling. And importantly, importantly, this does not impact uh, Medicare and Social Security. I, I can't remember when that was done, but they made sure to uh, protect those payments first, or at least before a lot of other payments. So that's that's some of what happens in the run up to those last few days. And, of course, the reason they protect that is because senior citizens vote in large numbers, and they don't want them coming after them. Um, so that's a major issue. Also, you know, we always hear about, oh, Democrats, they like to spend money, they like big government, and Republicans like to shrink that. Guess what? If we look back through administrations, it doesn't matter whether we have a Republican administration or a Democratic administration. They always spend a lot of money. It's just a matter of what they choose to spend that money on. And how they choose to fund it. Yes. All right, uh, John, thanks for your question. Uh, good discussion there. Uh, this is uh, Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're looking for your personal finance questions this morning. And today we've got a number of topics uh, that we think will be of interest to you to fill time between your calls. So Sean Mercer is our expert on Social Security, and he uh, visits quite frequently to answer Social Security questions. We've got a couple of tips, though, that I found on the Motley Fool website uh, about Social Security. Nancy, the first one is when you file. So does it matter when you file for Social Security? Yes. Um, there are several different times when you can file, and that will affect your benefit. Your um, prime benefit, what we call the FRA, the Full Retirement Benefit, um, is going to be somewhere between age 66 and age 67. So for younger people, you're set at 67 because we adjusted that in 1983 as we went from 65 all the way up to 67. As we were trying to make this Social Security pot healthier and uh, last longer. Um, but if you file, you can file as a widow or at uh, age 60, that's the earliest time you can file. You can file at age 62, which is early retirement for most people. And a lot of people, about 40 to 45 percent, do file at 62. That means you are lowering your benefit for your entire lifetime. It's going to be about 75 percent of your full retirement benefit. If you wait until after your full retirement uh, age, which I mentioned was 67, every month you delay, you're going to increase that benefit by two-thirds of 1%. 8% a year, guaranteed. You can't get that anywhere else. It's wonderful. Now, the last time that will accrue is age 70. So you definitely want to then go ahead and apply at age 70. You won't get any advantage for delaying beyond that. So um, my brother used to work for Social Security, and he had an argument, and I think I'm going to kind of get the basic of it, although I wish uh, he were here to explain it because he does a, such a good job on that. And that is <clears throat> if you take Social Security at a younger age, you're getting less money. But don't you have to figure out that you're getting money earlier? And, and, and there's some math in there, well, I think. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and, and what we know, there, you can actually go to a calculator that looks at – where is my break-even point? We know somewhere around 76 or 77, if you're going to live beyond that, 
then it makes sense for you to delay because, again, this is a lifetime benefit. Mm -hmm. And think about not only that higher benefit when you pull the trigger, but you're going to get cost of living adjustments that's going to be applied to that base benefit. So that that is going to continue to grow for you. Um, but for most people, if you've made it to about 65 or 70, you're probably going to make it to 75 or 80. And we're seeing more and more people even making it to 100. So delaying it if you can. But a lot of people, Kevin, can't afford to delay because, you know, you may need to retire. That may be your only source of income, but you have to do it. And I am not a big fan of that calculation of, oh, well, if I live this long, then I'll get this much. Because one, Social Security, is it, it, the point of it is not to count your total dollars. The point of it is it is it is income, and it is helping you replace your uh, the income that you had when you worked. So if you're 62 and you are done working and the benefit at 62 is more than enough, for you to live on, like by all means, go for it. If you don't have any other income sources, that's where it's coming from. Um, if if the income, if you are still working and you do not need the income, and even if you know, oh, I know for a fact I'm going to die at age 70, I should go ahead and take it now, then... <sighs> There's other reasons for delaying. So, for instance, one of the most important reasons we see is people delaying so that they can uh, give their spouse a higher survivor benefit. Maybe there's one person who ha- had the higher income for for their entire career, and so they have a huge benefit, and their spouse maybe has a small benefit. It may make sense even for the spouse to take theirs early just to have some money coming in and uh, the higher earner to delay as long as possible. And we kind of employ all sorts of uh, tricks with that, uh, including making up income out of other accounts they may have saved up or, or just stretching in some ways. Because like Nancy said, that is a benefit for life. That is inflation adjusted. And that increase that you get every year from delaying is just really hard to beat. So people who are just looking at the raw dollars of, oh, I'm going to live until uh, I am 83 and two months and three days. uh, Okay. I mean, if you're absolutely so certain then, well, let's also plug in every single expenditure you're ever going to have and and, and make sure that you can match that up with the payments that you're receiving from Social Security. Um, there are a lot of benefits to delaying, uh, but of course, it's not right for everybody in everybody's plan. I also know that if you take Social Security before your full retirement age, again, 67 for younger people, then you're going to have a limit on the amount you can earn outside of Social Security. Mm-hmm. And I think it's somewhere around the, you know, close to 20000 a year. If you go beyond that, then your Social Security benefits will be affected. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past episodes. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Also, if you have the public media app, one of the new features is you can send messages directly to us via your smartphone. 
All you have to do is uh, click on talk to us, I think is the thing. But anyway, you should be able to find it on the, on your app. And then uh, you can send messages to any of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs. Fan mail. <laughs> That's true. Another way to get to us. Uh, we are looking for your personal finance questions as we do each Tuesday. So we had a couple of tips, uh, social security social security related tips uh, from the Motley Fool website. We talked about when to file a rider. The other one is uh, the importance of reviewing your social security statement. Yes, uh, th- this is very important. Your social security statement, there's two main things that it's going to have on there. One, it's going to tell you what sh- your estimated benefit is. And if, if you're young and you've got a lot of years to go before you're actually going to be earning that, it's not necessarily going to be that accurate because it does assume that you're just going to earn your income until you hit retirement age. But that's it's a good to know. And certainly when you get into the thinking about retirement, planning for retirement, that is going to be a need to know number. Uh, the other thing is your earnings record. So they used to actually... You can on on the online account, I believe, view every single year and the dollars that you earn. Now there is a maximum limit. I believe this year's number is around one hundred sixty thousand. So if you earned more than that, it's just going to cut you off there. Uh, but there's because that's what is taxed for Social Security in your FICA tax. But. Sean Mercer, uh, when he was on uh, recently, talked about how this information gets updated. They do get your income information from the IRS, which is a little weird because you are making payments in every quarter. They get it once a year from the IRS, and he said they hope to have it in by March or April. So if you're looking at your statement early in the year, it might not have last year's on it. Uh, We're mid-April now. I would hope they'd have most people in there. He said sometimes it can take up to a year or so. And it's very important that they get this information correct because, of course, this is what your benefits are based off of. So we do advise people review that on an annual or so basis because if there's a mistake, say they indicated your income was a lot lower than it actually was, you need to get that corrected. Uh, and, of course, in any case like this, the more documentation, the better. Uh, he specifically mentioned saving your W-2. Uh, he said for, for recent years, it's pretty easy to get that documentation, pretty easy to get that stuff corrected. For older ones, again, if you don't have the documentation, it's not going to get corrected. So that's why we just recommend folks have a a look at that uh, every year or so. Also know that your earnings are adjusted for inflation. So if you've been working a long time and you, you know, I look back at my record and go, oh my gosh, look how little I was paid (laughs) back then. Um, Those numbers count for more than you think they do because they do that inflation adjustment when they calculate your benefit. Also, there are a lot of people out there who are working more than one job. Mm. That's where you really need to watch out because sometimes one job gets left off and that earnings is not added to your overall earnings record, and that's going to affect the benefits. So track that if you're working more than one job. Make sure every employer is reporting that correctly. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Looks like we've got a caller on the line, so we say good morning to Kevin in Byram. Kevin, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Good. Thanks for taking my call. got a question for you. Uh, I drive a truck and uh, got a really good job. Pay real good. I have fifty thousand in a RA CD with my bank, and for fifteen years, I also have another eighty thousand in a regular savings account. Should I just leave the eighty thousand in that savings? I'm just trying to so figure out like what other options can I do? I just really stay like it is. Or should I just take 
another 50 out of my savings and open up another uh, CDRA. And I thanks I listen to the offer. All right, Kevin, thanks for the call. Who wants to take the first shot at that? Um, well, I'll just take a shot at the IRA. So uh, having 50000 in an IRA, that's awesome. Congratulations. You mentioned it was a CD for 15 years. I'm not sure if you mean you've had it for 15 years. You would have had to have it for several years at least to get 50000 into it. Um, a CD is a, a fine investment choice for some people. Uh, I don't know how old you are or what your savings and retirement goals are, but for a lot of folks who are still working, having some mix of stocks and bonds. So uh, CD, we like to think of it kind of like a bond. Uh, it's FDIC insured, so it usually has a little lower payment. But it may be appropriate to also have some stocks in that account. I don't know if your bank can do that for you or if you need to look for a brokerage. Uh, you can put up, again, depending on your age, for Today is the last day, Dip being the uh, tax deadline. If you have an IRA you haven't made a deposit to, uh, today's the last day to do it. Last year was uh, 6000 and 7000 were the regular uh, contribution limits, and then the catch-up contribution <laughs> limit was 7000 And then for this upcoming year, it's going to go to 65 and 7500 So that's your limit on how much you can put into that IRA. Uh, if you have money in a regular savings account, again, you got to think about what you need that money for. Uh, emergencies, uh, loss of a job, I don't know with your truck driving, if that is in an independent contractor where you might be responsible for large expenses, including possibly replacing a truck at some point or a large expense to the truck. Uh, if that's the case, you probably want to keep a lot of cash on hand uh, for th- emergencies like that, uh, really like uh, uh, income-threatening emergencies like that. If that is not the case and you do have a stable job, yeah, getting some of that invested, uh, putting in an IRA is great for the long term, uh, getting some of that invested for other goals you might have, or just supplementing that retirement investing is a great idea. Uh, Nancy, any thoughts? Well, I would just say, a writer mentioned, you know, there are all kinds of qualifiers here. How old is Kevin? Uh, what's his situation? Having 130000 is a great start. You saved. So this is certainly a situation where Kevin might want to sit down with an advisor to really talk about all of those issues. How old is he? What's been his experience with investing? And really start to develop a plan that will allow him to retire at a reasonable age. So would you just go to a broker and say, hey, I've got X amount of money to spend? I mean, what what are some tips and things of how to approach someone when you're looking to invest some money? Well, I really would encourage someone to choose someone who um, is not uh, uh, getting commissions and uh, who's going to be an independent person. Maybe you want to just pay someone for their time to really look at your situation and give you an overall plan. But be careful about just going to a broker because, yeah, they'll they'll have something for you to invest in because they're looking at making a commission. But you want to make sure it fits you. And I would also encourage people to educate themselves. Go to the library, uh, look at webinars, uh, any kind of local classes to learn about investing and learn what fits you. 
And Ryder, one word that we talk about uh, quite frequently, uh, fiduciary. Tell us again about what that means and, and why it might be important to look for that if you're investing. Yes. So fiduciary is someone who looks out for your best interests. Uh, we like to say they, uh, our fiduciary duty to our clients is, is that we put their best interests before our own. So that means we work to eliminate conflicts between uh, our income and their best interests. We are fee-only advisors, We're fee, and, and we suggest people look for a fee-only advisor because we, we really do believe in that model. And by fee-only, I mean the client, the end user. So Kevin, if, if he called a fee-only office, he is the one paying that advisor for that advice. Uh, he is, they, that advisor is not, does not have a, a, a stock or a bond they are pushing that day. They do not have a, uh, an annuity contract or a specific type of account that they are getting paid to open. And he is he is paying that person for their time, for their advice, for their knowledge, uh, for their work, and he is getting their best advice uh, directly. So that's what we mean, we mean by f- uh, fiduciary and by fee only. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So we're on the air on Money Talks to answer your personal finance questions. We've got a couple of interesting topics to fill the time between calls, but we'd like to get calls like the one that we got from Terry. Mary has called in today. Good morning, Mary. You're on the air, so go ahead. Yes, sir. I have two questions. If um, does a person need a spouse to sign a spouse's consent to waiver a qualified joint and survivor annuity for them to get their retirement if they're ready to draw it. And this, and, and the only thing you would give them was this sheet to sign, no information, no knowledge of this at all. And the second question is, can you borrow from an IRA and will you have to pay it back? Um. Uh, so interesting question there. When we see that spousal consent pops up, of course, on retirement plans, uh, you like your 401k, 403b. Generally speaking, uh, sometimes they do. I, I'm not 100% where all of the lines are crossed. Uh, sometimes that is a state by state. Sometimes that is a plan by plan. And, and, and the idea is that your 401k may have options uh, for withdrawal. For instance, you could annuitize it, and which allow benefits for your spouse. And so some places they view that as if you just withdraw the money, if you roll that over instead of taking it as an annuity, which would include benefits for your spouse, then you are denying your spouse some sort of benefit. Uh, so it is not uncommon that that needs to be signed. But again, I would check with uh, with your 401k provider, they would know if that's something that your plan has. They would know that if that's something that does matter for the amount you're taking. I don't know that you need to have that signed just to make withdrawals. I, again, that's not something I've dealt with specifically uh, with those plans. As far as bar- but you do have that with a pension. Yes, so that's, I think that's what she was talking about, and mm-hmm. I would I would say if someone is asking you to sign off on uh, that spousal consent, that's usually part of a bigger package 
which list all of those uh, benefits. So there will be a single life benefit. That's the most you can get. There's going to be benefits that show joint survivor, which would include Mm -hmm. the spouse. And so if you're the spouse being asked to sign, I would ask to see all of that and know those numbers. Um, The second question you have, can you borrow from IRA? No, you cannot. Um, That's where we see a difference between 401ks, which are defined contribution plans. Many of them allow for borrowing against that. That goes plan by plan. You cannot do that with an IRA. Well, let me, if I may ask, may I ask one more thing? Sure, go ahead. Sure, go ahead. Okay, okay. If they say, I'm going to divorce you, uh, will that make my option for this spouse of consent thing uh, not needed? Because as the lady just said, Mm -hmm. that this form does say I'm giving up my rights to everything. And I I didn't even know about it, so I'm not going to. And they refuse to give me any paperwork to read up on, which I ask for repeatedly. If you are still married, officially married, you're going to have to sign that. There's going to have to be a signature. And even if somebody says, well, I'm going to divorce you, if the divorce is not official, if the marriage is not final and terminated, then that signature will still be required. And so if you have somebody threatening divorce, I would just say, Mm -hmm. you know, talk to my attorneys. And I will point out as well, if someone does have something like a large pension benefit, even if they have not, even if they are not taking it yet, or they have a 401k or something, Mm -hmm. and they are threatening divorce, there are part of divorce settlements where you may receive some of those benefits. So that would be included. And so that you're finding out about that, that's kind of if, if, if you're looking at a divorce situation, that's kind of in your favor, because you are learning a little bit more about the financial situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, and make mm-hmm. sure in any divorce negotiations or settlement, it does uh, it does include that pension benefit because that is a large for people who have a pension benefit that can be a very large asset of theirs in retirement. It comes as a monthly income oh. that is very big yes, and important sir. to their financial situation. All right, thank you all, Mary. Thank you for your phone call. Let's stay on the phone lines. Next, let's go to Mobile. Mikey has called in today. Good morning, Mikey. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Thank you. Um, uh, because th- today is the deadline for the uh, uh, to file for the extension form 4868 to the IRS.gov. It has to be done today. I understand that. Um, uh, my question is, if you have a tax deductible, but it's only going to be a tax deductible interest uh, for a year or two, but it in- exceeds the taxable income that you've had for numerous years, by about double, is it worth filing on less than the previous non-taxables? Um, these are things involving uh, pandemic sorts of things. Um, and can, and, and, and can, you get, can you get the form, that, that uh, form 4868, from the public libraries is, is my other question. Or it should be available online, and certainly you can go to your local library and they can help you. If they don't have it on uh, available physically, they should be able to direct you to how to find that. I think your situation really requires maybe you get some um, tax preparation help, 
And I uh, do know AARP offers some free help along the way, maybe a little late at this point to get some, because I'm not quite sure about the question that you're asking with um, the variance that you're having in your income. And the question is, because you have this variance, should you even file for income taxes? We always encourage people to still go ahead and file, even though you may not have tax due, because you may have some credits due you and you may get some money back regardless. I think that's a great point, you know, uh, and you're correct, the Form 4868 for filing an extension, yes, if you have not filed your taxes, you are not ready to file them today, please do get that form in. Now, with when you file for an extension, you still have to have an estimate of your tax, you still have to have an estimate of what you might owe, but you were mentioning that you do have uh, deductions that may exceed your income, so some deductions, some things that go to offset your income, business losses. Capital, uh, capital losses, some of those can be carried forward through multiple years. So it might make sense for you, uh, and you would need to do a filing on which you show what those losses are and you show that you are carrying some forward. Uh, the IRS would probably not be too pleased if you just popped up a few years down the line and just said, oh, hey, by the way, I just I just offset some of my income with some with some expenses for a few years, but, but let's get back to know each other. Um, you're you're going to need to report those things uh, on an annual basis. Also, Mikey, uh, the conversation about taxes continues next hour on In Legal Terms right here on MPB Think Radio. So if you're listening, uh, maybe they might have an expert that give you a little more information about your specific question. But we certainly appreciate you calling in to Money Talks. This is Money Talks, and we're Thank looking. Thank you all so much. You bet. Good. Always good to hear from you. So uh, we talk frequently about saving money on the show. It's important. Uh, so we've got some uh, tips for successful savers or habits, I guess, for successful savers. Nancy, habits. What, uh, what do you say are some good habits for successful savers? I like the way that rolls off the tongue. Successful savers. Well, <laughs> I'm going to use a word that's not a very popular word, which is discipline, because that's what it's really about. Ew. Um, discipline saving. And I always like to say, make your saving automatic. Uh, sign up for that 401k, put uh, enough in it so that it just pinches you a little bit and you won't even miss it. Um, also, go ahead and make it automatic for money to go into your savings account. And so it's not sitting there in your checking account where you can spend it. So that's the best thing you can do is to apply some discipline to all of that. And if you're trying to look at, well, how do I get started? And I'm not sure I have enough to save. Yes, you do. But you need to look at what your expenses are. And as you look at those expenses, what are your real needs versus your wants? And what are the things where you go a little crazy on? And can you cut back on some of those things? Certainly, you can't cut back on the rent or the mortgage payments. you got to pay your utilities. you got to get to the grocery store. But if you start to really look at that, and, you know, a budget is also another word we don't like to use very much or a spending plan. I don't necessarily follow a budget regularly, but I like to look at that uh, household budget maybe once a year to see what's, where am I really spending too much? Where can I pull back? How can I save more? But once you do that and really carve out your savings first, then you can learn to live on what's left. You know, the, I can't remember exactly where I got this from. A lot of this stuff I get from online, you know, these tips and things that we share on the air. <clears throat> but one of them caught my eye. It's that good savers use cash. And it says that research shows that people spend more money with credit cards versus paying with cash. Ryder, what are your thoughts on why that would be? Mm, 
well, it, so there is always the hesitation if you have a, like a nice crispy 20 in your pocket. There's the hesitation to break it. You want to keep it nice and crispy and clean and, and whole as long as you can because what are you going to do with all that change? Um, you, you know, if you have listened to the show, you know that Nancy and I are big fans of putting a lot of your spending on credit cards. Uh, but we are definitely not fans of putting more on your credit card than you can actually afford. So what one of the things is there are a lot of tips and tricks for getting good at saving and building that saving muscle. Nancy mentioned discipline. She mentioned that, you know, you've got to go ahead and get those things done. That's you're you're preparing your your today's self is preparing for your future self. You're saying, I know that my future self doesn't want to make this decision. I'm going to go ahead and make the decision to set aside $100 every month today. I'm going to make that decision today, and I'm never going to have to make it again. I'm hopefully going to raise that that amount I set aside in the future. Um, again, getting into the habit, getting into good habits, lowering your savings. There are a lot of tips and tricks, and whatever works for you. Yes, some for some people that is having it cash, having a cash envelope. This is oh, this is all the money I can spend on eating out this month, and having that clearly marked. Those are great for getting into those habits, for building that saving muscle. Um, but ultimately, you hope to just get good at it. So as Nancy said, you don't you don't have to follow a strict budget for the rest of your life. You'll just get good at spending less than you uh, less than you earn. You'll get good at having all those savings automa- automated and you'll have that strong muscle. And so, yes, you'll need to check on things every now and then, review your spending every month, but you're you're going to be good at that habit and, and everything is going to work a lot more smoothly. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Got a couple of calls to get to, so hopefully this will take us through the end of the show. Again, as promised, we'll start in Bay Springs. Jerry is on the line. Go ahead, Jerry. You're on the air with us. Uh, thank you. Good morning. Morning. Um, my wife and I have a little trouble making our Social Security and SSI uh, last through the month, so my stepson usually sends us a couple of hundred, three hundred dollars a month to help us make it, help us get by. Is that tax deductible for him? No. No? So that's just, he's just giving you money. It's just gifting. At that amount, it doesn't have an impact on his taxes either way. Uh, Gifting, there is a... Uh, annual exemption to gifting where he doesn't even have to do any reporting of it. And that number, I believe this year is 17,000. So as long as he's staying under that, uh, that's, that's fine. Um, so at that amount, there's just no impact either way. Above that, there's a potential impact on his future estate, but that's, you would get into it. You get a CPA or tax preparer to help him with that. But at that rate, no, he is just, that's just giving money to family and friends. It's very nice of him. Okay. Though. Okay. I wanted to try and ease his burden a little bit. All right. Thanks uh, a lot. All right, Jerry, we appreciate your phone call. Next to Biloxi we go. Ashley has called in today. Good morning, Ashley. Go ahead. Um, hi. My name's Ashley, and I'm calling to ask about, um, I guess, inheritance. My mother was a resident of Louisiana. I'm a resident of Mississippi. She, um, she had passed away. We're selling her home, mm. and... I guess this is just how does the tax situation work? Would I pay it here, Louisiana? Do I pay taxes? Is What's the percentage? How does that work? Yeah. Um, Ashley, first, let me just say, uh, when did your mother die? 
a year ago this month, mm. okay. April thirtieth. Mm. So the house that you inherited, you have? Do you have siblings? Yes. Okay. So I'm assuming you're all going to be sharing in the proceeds of that house. Yes, it's stepsisters, and so I have my mother's half, and then I get a sixth of the other. Uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. my sure. dad's just split three ways. Okay. So the house, um, when we pass on assets, house stocks, bonds, whatever, they get what's called a stepped-up cost basis. And so that means whatever the value of that house was a year ago when your mom passed away is the basis for tax purposes. So when you sell that house, the difference between what you sell it for today versus what it was valued at a year ago probably is not very much which means there's very little gain and very little tax to pay on that. And especially if you then divide it among all of you at that point. Um, You would then, each of you would list that gain or loss on your personal tax returns that you report within your separate states. Okay. And and also the estate itself will need to do a tax will likely need to do a tax return and the estate it sounds like is in Louisiana I don't know if they actually have any tax on inheritance in estates uh, the federal estate exemption is is like twelve million for an individual or twenty five million for a couple so uh, and and she can also uh, if I don't know if your father died first then. That whole thing is under the $25 million exemption. Uh, so you do have to do a report. You do have to file the taxes uh, for the report, but you, it, unless it's over that amount, you're unlikely to owe anything. Okay. And and, awesome. and Ryder mentions the one good thing of you, you'll need to get someone in Louisiana to, um, if there was a will, to probate the will, an attorney and maybe a local CPA, because Louisiana has some very odd laws. <laughs> they sure yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, very different from Mississippi. Uh, but for you okay. personally, there's probably going to be very little tax that you have to pay. Yep. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much for breaking that down. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Y'all have a good day. Thanks, Ashley, for your phone call. Got a couple of minutes left in the show. We were talking earlier about uh, wants and needs, and I think I was sharing with Ryder during the break a story where I, <clears throat> I've hosted this show for as long as, well, not as long, but many years, and uh, eventually things penetrate your brain and, and you start thinking like you should. And so anyway, I had got an estimate done for improving my bathroom, basically replacing the shower wall. <clears throat> it was very affordable. I thought to myself, that's nice. I'll get a nice new shower. That would be nice. But the more I started thinking about it, I was like, well, am I spending this money on something that's more cosmetic than functional? And so now I've decided to not get the uh, shower wall replaced. The shower still works. It's not the best looking shower, but the cat doesn't seem to mind. So that's okay. Uh, And so now I'm pivoting towards possibly replacing an aging hot water heater, which I think certainly qualifies more in the needs category than the wants. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, he described his hot water heater to me, uh, and I would say it's it's a need. It's a need, not a want, for sure. (laughs) Well, also, you, you talk about improvements on your house. It's a little bit different than, you know, 
buying a pair of shoes, well, Kevin, <laughs> which I who said, would do I that, Nancy? I, who who I, on I this show would do that? <laughs> I ordered a pair myself just this morning. Oh, there's two but, of you. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're when you're making improvements on your home, you're you're investing in that property, and for many people, that's their biggest assets. So just make sure that you can enjoy it and you can get most of your money back out of it. And and also, this is not the Fix It 101 uh, show, and so I'm not a contractor. This is not this is not contracting advice. But there are things like your hot water heater going out where you, you, you kind of get an indication that it's about to go out and then bad things happen very quickly. So you do want to go ahead and, and, and get ahead of issues like that. And also, I mean, speaking of things that you enjoy, I mean, I hope you enjoy having hot water for your shower. So that's very important. Um, but we don't want to discourage people from spending money on a renovation that they can afford and would just just bring them joy in their house and and help them really love their house more. Because uh, people often uh, we, we talk to a lot of people who are like, oh, well, I'm thinking of moving. There's just this, that and the other that's just wrong with my house. It's a great location. I love my neighbors. OK, great location. Loving your neighbors. That's really important. And you can always change the inside. So if that is a to you, it can really be worth it. And as um, our boss Jason Klein pointed out to me, <clears throat> if you get a new shower and the hot water heater goes out, you're not going to enjoy the new shower. So, very good point. <laughs> that is going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support of listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your favorite podcasting app. And our podcast producer at MPB is Jermaine Flood. For Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Coming up at 10, it's In Legal Terms, where they're going to be talking about taxes. Money Talks airs every Tuesday at 9 on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.